This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Google targets quantum supremacy. And brain simulation gets ready for exascale. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening into another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research. I'm Addison Snell, joined by Michael Feldman, and we're distributed in partnership with Top500.org. So, hey, Michael, I've been uh, in Houston this week at the Rice Oil and Gas HPC workshop. That's where I spent the first half of this week. There was some interesting news there. Yeah, that's always a good conference. I missed it this year, but uh, it's it's become a an interesting domain now, especially with the bigger supercomputers that are being bought up by some of the big uh, exploration companies, not so much in the U.S., at least not the advertised ones, but you see uh, Total and any uh buy some of these really big systems and they're they're moving into into the petascale realm and i guess they're already looking towards exascale yeah they're they're certainly into the petascale realm already the oil and gas companies are the are the commercial consumers of the largest uh, you know commercial supercomputers that are out there they really have these very scalable applications and there was a theme at this year's rice oil and gas workshop about exascale we had presentations from uh, Doug Cothy and the Exascale Computing Program, also from Andrew Siegel, also from the Exascale Computing Project. We had presentations from a lot of the, the main vendors, and I got to moderate a panel with a lot of them uh, talking about Exascale. But beyond that, you know, all the oil and gas companies there presenting, uh, there's a wonderful presentation from Shell where they were very open about a lot of their research. Rice, of course, talking about how they're trying to push some of the open research. Um, and they had 500 people uh, pre-registered, over 500 people pre-registered. So it was it was really quite exciting. And then toward the end, uh, we also had a lot of uh, really illuminating discussions about cloud, where uh, the oil companies are now starting to migrate or test migrate their applications to cloud to use that to complement their capacity. We saw presentations about Microsoft Azure and the Google Cloud. And then uh, the representative from Google, uh, Kevin Kissel, uh, because questions about quantum computing had come up on day one, also used part of his uh, talk to uh, talk about the newly released news about quantum and, and their pursuit of quantum supremacy with the uh, bristlecone, their 72 qubit chip. Yeah, I mean, that news actually broke probably uh, a week or so before the conference. The, the Google's quantum AI lab uh, revealed publicly, at least, that, that they have a 70 qubit quantum processor, a codename bristlecone, and that was revealed at, a, at another meeting in Los Angeles for the American Physical Society. Um, so I'm not surprised they, uh, they were, there were some questions about that ship. 72 qubits is, I think, the largest quantum processor that at least publicly known. IBM has a 50 qubit prototype chip in the lab, and this chip also looks much like a prototype. They're not doing much with it at this point, it sounds like, except just sort of testing it, kicking the tires, and seeing how it works or, or if it'll work for anything uh, they're going to be able to be for usability. But it's a chip that supposedly, if it works uh, well enough, should demonstrate quantum supremacy. That's something that uh, uh, a quality that uh, a particular algorithm can't be uh, simulated on a conventional computer or supercomputer because uh, there's, there's basically not enough memory. So quantum supremacy is a big milestone 
and uh, Bristlecone might be the chip to uh, to break the to break the mold here. Yeah, and Kevin did an excellent job explaining that just starting from from a lay position of of how superposition works, and and essentially with each qubit that you can do two to the n uh, bits that you can put into your exploration solution space. So if you had uh, for example, a three qubit system. Well, that's eight bits of solution space that you can then explore. And up around two to the 50th, that's where you get to a size that uh, is is the maximum size that a conventional supercomputer can do today. And then every bit that you add beyond that goes another power of two. So these exponential curves are wonderful things where you get very quickly out into what's called a quantum supremacy space. But he de- he also explained that the real challenges in doing that is if you just build a 72-bit qubit system and then run something on it, well, <laughs> how do you know it's right. right? I mean, this simulation. So he said, actually, the practical thing that they're going to be leaning towards with this many bits to begin with is using the majority of those for error correction and looking for applications or algorithms that they could test on a fewer number of qubits and verify the the validity of those calculations before they started scaling it out farther. Yeah, sort of that's the, the downside of this uh, this type of technology to implement a quantum processor that's basically the semiconductor or superconductor technology. They end up using a lot of the qubits for error correction. Not, not all approaches are like that, but this is certainly the one uh, that Google is doing, and also the one IBM is uh, is implementing, as well as Intel. So it's a little bit tricky, but yeah, it's not, as soon as you can produce a lot of these qubits, though, there's plenty of qubits to go around, supposedly, and uh, you can start building these things up and produce something that's, uh, you know, that, that has enough qubits to do something worthwhile. The new project was called Bristlecone, by the way, because the two by two lattice reminded the designers of a of a pine cone, uh, uh, the way it was laid out with the overlapping tiers. Especially when you look at it diagonally, the previous Google efforts at quantum computing, the qubits had been laid out linearly, and and really they needed to go to a a two D matrix. Uh, in order to take full full advantage of this architecture. He did, by the way, say that the Google AI researchers had come up with one application that was going to be very useful for testing out quantum supremacy. He said where with the conventional supercomputing power that they have in the Google Cloud, which is considerable, um, although they, they, they have an algorithm that although they can't calculate it all the way down deterministically, they can put it within very tight error bars over the entire range of the function to say, all right, we know pretty clearly that it's within this space. So then if they take a different approach and calculate that function deterministically with the qubits, they'll know very quickly whether or not it fits in the error bars. And if it does, then that says with a high degree of certainty that they run the calculation correctly. Yeah, it gets a little bit trickier as you get into this quantum supremacy space to sort of prove prove what you're doing. And we should reiterate that uh, the Bristlecone ship has not demonstrated quantum supremacy yet. They've got to do all this work that we're talking about, and it's it's going to be a process. But uh, at, at least from the write-up in uh, the Google blog, um, the researcher said he's cautiously optimistic that they're going to be able to demonstrate uh, 
with this uh, Bristol Cone technology. At some point, they didn't give a time frame, but it's 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 sort of exciting. Uh, they they wanted to get to this point. I think late last year it leaked into this year, but it, it sounds like it's it's set up to be a watershed moment in the uh, in the quantum computing field. It's, you know, I'm impressed with how much we've talked about quantum computing on this podcast. It gets to be closer and closer to a reality. It's going to be pretty close to where we're going to be talking about actual commercial applications or commercial sales of these uh, quantum computers. Michael, also this week in HPC and also related to uh, the talks that we gave at the uh, Rice Oil and Gas Workshop, I mentioned I was on this panel um, and it was a good panel. It had representatives from Intel, HP, AMD, Micron, uh, Rice, and from the Exascale Computing Project. And we got into talking about um, not only some of the challenges faced in moving to Exascale, but some inspiration about what are we looking forward to in this space. And of course, there are commercial potential commercial applications in seismic for oil and gas. We also talked about some of the potential finance applications, none of which will be ready for the very first Exascale system, but they're out there. They're waiting in the wings once we have workable architectures. And another one that's always excited me, although it's not in the commercial space, is um, is the field of brain research where we've had uh, these pro projects to try to get closer to mapping a human brain. Coincidentally, you've got a story on top500.org that says the researchers have made a, a big jump in the software in getting that ready for Exascale. Yeah, a, a lot of the software, a lot of the, the researchers doing brain simulations are using an open source code called NEST, N-E-S-T, capitalized there. And... Um, it's been able to scale pretty well in petascale systems. They've been able to, you know, in a matter of hours, you can you can run like one second worth of a brain simulation on a on a portion of a brain, like 10% of a what would be 10% of a human brain on some of the bigger supercomputers. But now they figured out how to tweak the Nest algorithms a bit, and actually, uh, they think they've got something that's going to be sort of exascale ready by the time the machines get get here that's so they're they're sort of getting ahead of the curve here now this was work involved at uh, Ulrich Research Center, Aachen University, Riken, um, Norwegian University of Life Sciences and a few other places uh, these researchers got together developed uh, some of these new algorithms so that they can uh, actually now run these large-scale simulations of neural networks that uh, given an exascale system can actually they think it's going to be able to simulate an entire human brain yeah, and that's what really excites me. It reminds me of earlier in my career in HPC, back in the year 2000, long, long ago, when, when the Human Genome Project mapped the human genome, which was such a major endeavor at the time. And that sounds like the end of a problem. Hey, we've done it. It's mapped. But the reality is an achievement like that opens whole new fields of research. That was the dawn of the field of genomics, which is still uh, growing today and, and coming up with all kinds of new insights. And I think we're now within 10 years of getting to the point where a major supercomputer is going to announce that they have the first comprehensive map of all the synapses and firings of a human brain. And once we do that, there will be a whole new field of brain research that's started where we can start simulating brain growth and uh, brain degeneration and 
uh, problems in the brain from autisms to Alzheimer's to concussions to be able to simulate these on, on a computer rather than trying to run experiments on living human brains will be a major breakthrough that that is one of the things I'm most excited about in the research space in our industry. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think it's going to happen in a fairly short time. I mean, here we're talking it's 2018. We're going to see the first exascale systems, uh, you know, in, in a couple of years, maybe a little more in the U.S. and Europe. But yeah, by the time these systems come around, uh, it sounds like the at least using this software, there's going to be some really good research for for full brain simulations that are going to start to happen. And then, like you said, after that, um, the computers are just going to get bigger. The software is just going to be tweaked and get better. And you're going to have a lot more researchers with access to systems that are going to be able to do different types of research. So, yeah, again, this is another milestone I think we're approaching rapidly. Um, and uh, I think it sounds like this software could be sort of the key catalyst to doing a lot of the work uh, in this in the exascale era in the brain area. Yeah, and if that sounds uh, fanciful, just think about the time scales we're talking about. You know, I was just talking about the year 2000. So we're talking 18 years ago. We were barely into the TerraScale era then. And now you look at how much an independent genomics lab can do on their own computers in that time frame. So if we're talking about within 10 years, you get the first mapping and then another 15 years after that, what you could do 25 years from now. Yeah, I think this kind of brain research is going to be well within our reach a generation from yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, it's almost hard to conceive what uh, what's going to be happening. But I think, yeah, the analogy with genomics, I think, is apt. Uh, and I think I think you're right. I think we're going to see something similar here. Uh, it's sort of the beginning of a, of a new era in, in this sort of uh, field. Well, with major thanks to Rice University, uh, Jan Odegaard and Keith Gray and Scott Morton and all of our hosts and organizers for the Rice Oil and Gas HPC Workshop. It's a great conference. Every year I was glad I was there as well as to my my panelists. I am hopeful that uh, some of the content from the conference will be up and publicly available online, but uh, but certainly a very rewarding one. And Michael, thanks for keeping us all up to date with the news on top500.org. My pleasure. All right, Michael, thanks. We'll be back again next week. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.